Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're in the doghouse, and we're here to celebrate Mississippi State sports, particularly Bulldog football, here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, David Murray, and I'm flying solo this week because Mario Hagan is occupied out in his Dallas home. But out there, he's celebrating too, as is everyone in Bulldog country far and near. The Golden Egg is safe on campus. Well, I say on campus. If you check hailstate.com, you can see the list of places the egg is making a tour of Mississippi all through these coming weeks as Mississippi State administration and football staff want to get out there and share with the people the great prize of Bulldog football victory. Thanksgiving night, 24-22 in Oxford, Mississippi State snaps a two-year streak and returns the Golden Egg to campus where it rightfully belongs. In fact, I was able to get to campus in time as the buses rolled in, and quite fittingly, of all the team to be carrying the egg, it was Nate Watson who had the privilege. He, escorted by Randy Charlton, also very fitting, giving his late-game heroics, took that egg and put it on its plinth there in the SEAL complex. And you can still find the video I shot of it out there on either Twitter or Facebook. Now, I warn you, there's one little naughty word uttered by Charlton. But, hey, after what he did to block that two-point conversion, he could have said any doggone thing he wanted to, and it would have been forgiven, even laughed at, because the egg is where it belongs. Mississippi State reclaims the most valued trophy in all Mississippi sports. And... What a sigh of relief. Well, the game itself, it's been a week, and of course a lot to hash over in how it played out. Did it need to be as close as it was? As it turns out, no, not necessarily. Mississippi State certainly could have put it away much earlier than they did. In fact, if they come out and play any kind of efficiently offensive first half, they probably take control of the game at that point. You know, when Mario and I talked a week ago, and I was not just uh, buttering him up by saying it was a linebackers on running backs game. No, I meant it. Well, certainly that's how it played off. Now, the weather was not nearly as bad as forecast to be. Still, there was enough weather in the second half, particularly, to dampen the field, slow a few things down. That takes absolutely nothing away from how Coach Zach Arnett's defense performed against a Rebel offense that even in defeated Arkansas, even in some of their other losses, showed just how potent they can be with the SEC's best running attack, a capable passing attack with excellent receivers, and just a much more aggressive approach than the SEC norm, and that's saying a lot. But the matchup, everything fell into place for Mississippi State in so many ways. They shackled a great young running back, did not let him get to the end zone. They controlled the quarterback, made him work for everything he threw, and simply refused to lose the game. Offensively, Well, that's where we can point some fingers if we wish, but come on. When you win the game, and frankly, let's get this out of the way first. I want it known. I've done this for a very long time, as have many of you. Cover these games, attend these games, sweat through these games, cry through these games, and not quite often enough cheer them. Although, I want to point out, since 1991 and the game came back to campus, Mississippi State has an edge, 17-15. We'll discuss more about that later in the implications. But... You know how tense it gets. When Mississippi State can show up and play a less than perfect game, a less than even really a good efficient game, and still beat a good team on their field at their own game under all the pressurized situations, what does it say about the state of Mississippi State's program here in year three? Realistically, you almost want to say 
barely year two of Mike Leach's program because 2020 was such a write-off in so many ways. Well, it says the character is there because it would have been really easy once the Rebels jumped up there by a double-digit lead in the first half to say, well, just not going to be our game this year, especially after the last two seasons where State managed to make mistakes, miss kicks, fumble balls, and give the games away. State didn't. State came back, got the crucial points of the game right before halftime to regain the momentum, got the ball to start the new half, didn't score on it, but established a field position edge by that series that, however we complain about how it ended, it kept the ball tilted Mississippi State's way. It kept the clock tilted Mississippi State's way. Um, When Mario and I talked last week about it being a linebacker versus running backs kind of game, I wasn't just sucking up to a former NFL linebacker when I was talking to him. It was the truth. And the Mississippi State's linebackers, Nate Watson, Jet Johnson, Tyrus Wheat, they were the key people on defense along with Jaden Crumity. The State's defensive line, backed up by those linebackers, shut down Ole Miss's running game, and it will forevermore be remembered. State had the better running game overall in the night. Think about it. As good as young Mr. Judkins was, and boy, is he good. He deserved a Connerly Award. I'm not going to say anything about that. The what Joquavius Marks and Dylan Johnson did, and let's not forget, Simeon Price in his blocking back position without ever carrying the ball once. They made the ground game work, and State gradually, almost unbelievably to the home team, wore the Rebel defense down, Set State up to get the critical touchdown when Real Rogers is able to find Ra-Ra Thomas and then just make the plays. Yes, could it have been much easier? Sure. That fumble on the one-yard line never had to be. Just handed off four straight times. But those things happen. But again, that repeats too. You give the Rebels a chance. They get down there. They score. They go for the two-point play. The defense rises to the occasion again. That defensive play by Randy Charlton the awareness of what to happen because he had a great big blocker shielding his view of the quarterback and the ball and they had practiced against the shovel pass they knew it was a possibility but he's his body's going one way and yet randy's able to stop reach back get just enough a hand on it and knock it down and that's great awareness of mind in that moment and it's just a great physical play it's just great doggone determination which represented the entire dog defense last in last thursday night and there's so many things we talk about the game in retrospect but most of it's been hashed through certainly some of the stories can be still found on gene's page 24 7 we enjoyed writing them and the follow-ups as well point being mississippi state played a game where they could have lost the game but they didn't they won it because they wanted the game more they played harder they played longer They did what they had to do, and in some ways that's even more gutting to the losing team because they know it did not take a superior effort for the Bulldogs to win. Well, effort, yes, but a superior execution and efficiency. State did not have that, but they won. And that says, again, so much about the character on this team. We've talked about it all year. Maybe in midseason we talked about it a little too much, we thought, after the Texas A&M and Arkansas games, and we touted it and wrote about it, that it was a sign this team is mature, this team is there. Well, you saw what happened at Kentucky. You saw what happened at Alabama. They didn't look like a mature, developed team then. So there were still areas where they weren't entirely grown up yet. 
I think the takeaway now, though, we can look, and it's happier to do it in retrospect after the big victory. What you can say, though, is despite not playing well in those games, they did not let it rattle them. They had whatever it took to win against Auburn. In retrospect, that, too, looks like a much better win now than it did a few weeks ago after what the Tigers were able to do down their stretch of the season, handle East Tennessee State with a minimum fuss, and in just four days, bounce back, go on the road, and take care of the team that they want to beat most. And they beat them. They beat them by a better margin than the final score shows, but then the final score is, as I say, just like the final record, you are what it says. Well, what it says is Mississippi State won the game. Mississippi State is 8-4. and four. State finishes 4-4 four and four SEC for a second consecutive season. And Mike Leach's situation is looking better by the day now. So, a week later, like I said, it's all golden in Bulldog country. Uh, Okay, we will talk about the game just a little bit more. Uh, If I have heroes of the game, I think you'll agree with this. If there was a single decisive play other than Randy Charlton's knocking down the two-point conversion which sealed it, what Tulu Griffin did to recover that fumble, And I want you to look at that play, too, how much it says about old-school want versus modern-day make-a-big-play kind of guy. And that's not knocking either one. But the rebel who had a chance to scoop and score was thinking like the modern-day. Make the big highlight play. Do something fantastic. Well, what Tula did was simply get back there and get on the ball. He dove under the reach of the rebel player and just fell on the ball. Now, State still had to punt it away, but at that point of the game, if State had turned that ball over, despite the fact that Ole Miss was struggling to get touchdowns in the red zone in the first half, that could have been fatal. As it was, State was able to punt the ball away. The other MVP of the game had to be George Georgiopoulos. Have we criticized State punting this year? Of course we have. So has everyone else. They've had good numbers, except for one, sometimes two kicks a game, that just would go awry. Not this night. They got good hang time. They got great coverage. And the coverage was so good at times, the Ole Miss receiver did not even try to field it. And the ball bounced the right way. And when punts are going the right way consistently, you know something's going good for you as well. So special teams came through, made the field goal, made no mistakes. Did not get a big return, but got a nice kickoff return there from Tulu. And, of course, he got banged up during the course of the game, was unable to return later. He should be okay for the bowl game, we understand, but we won't know for sure until bowl camp starts. And we'll certainly we'll be talking about bowls in a little bit further here as well. The offensive line, they played a great game in so many respects, even better than it looked because, you know, frankly, Will Rogers did not take advantage of their blocking fully, particularly in the first half with a couple of sacks that he just waited a little long. I sometimes wonder, did he get spoiled by just how efficiently, bang, 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 State's first offensive series went when they go down there, answer a field goal by scoring a touchdown. And then the next five series, I think by calculations, netted a total of 10 yards. Maybe it did come too easy too early. Doesn't matter. When he had to put a drive together before halftime, and without much time to play with on top of that because they'd already burned their timeouts, Another sore point, and yet still, he's able to get them down the field. Dylan Johnson makes five catches, I believe, during just that one series, and all of a sudden, boom, Tulu is right there, two yards of the goal line, catches a bullet, bounces off two defenders, gets in, 
and State's within two points at halftime. If you don't score there, I don't know how that whole second half develops, but you did, and despite the scoreboard being tilted the Rebels' way, all the momentum and emotion was going Mississippi State's way in intermission, and you know that had to matter as well. I bring those up, not just because they were key plays, but what they say about Will Rogers for the game. I got lit up a little bit for not giving him a worse grade in my report card. You know, my completely unofficial opinion only, I gave him a C-. And there were those out there still raw feelings the day after who wanted to flunk him or at very best give him a D. I want to point this out. Did he take a couple of sacks he shouldn't have? Yes. Did he throw a couple of balls away he didn't need to? Yes. And certainly did he fumble that ball on a touchdown opportunity that would have put the game away totally and spared us all the trauma and drama of the last few minutes? Yes. Did he make plays to win the game? Dang right, yes. The first touchdown, the touchdown before halftime, looking off that safety, freezing him in his tracks so that Ra-Ra Thomas can beat his cornerback and get so open for the touchdown catch and Will putting it right to him. Plays like that are why you have to give credit to the guy. He didn't play anything close to his best game this year, but he made enough plays to win the game through two touchdown passes. How many years out there have we gone praying we'd have a quarterback of any sort that would throw a couple of touchdown passes in the Egg Bowl? I think we tend to get spoiled in these offensive days, but you've got to give credit where due. Will Rogers made the plays, enough of them. He could have made more, absolutely. And I want to point this out as well. Whether it was by directions from the sideline or his own recognition, I suspect a combination of both, but more leaning towards the fact that Mike Leach gives his quarterbacks authority to make all these play calls. When Will spent part of the third quarter and most of the fourth quarter checking into run plays, letting that ground game work, letting the offensive line go to work. When Ole Miss refused to adapt and was still playing the pass, Will picks it up, hands the ball off to Dylan Johnson and Jaquavius Marks and lets Simeon Price, again, underappreciated. You know, I was talking to Rocky Felker during the East Tennessee game pregame about this dual back stuff, and he made the comment that it looks a whole lot like the old Veer offense he used to run when he was a Bulldog quarterback in the early 70s, split backs. Of course, he took direct snaps under center instead of being back like Rodgers is, and he said that's one of the differences between the old Veer and today's split back system, but that's just a matter of placement. The whole idea is the same. Mississippi State read that, the offensive line, got the reads, got the calls from Rodgers, the recognitions, made their blocks, Rodgers got the ball to the right backs, and even if every run play didn't produce big gains, it kept the ball moving forward, it kept the clock moving, and it wore down the Ole Miss defense, something that very few teams have done this season. That, again, is the credit to Will Rogers for what he did. Now, I have to bring all this up because everybody is now so busy. When I say everybody, okay, that's an exaggeration. Uh, what's the rule of thumb on message boards? 10% of posters account for 80% of posts. Well, the minority out there certainly wants another quarterback by next year, no matter what happened, ain't going to happen. Will Rogers, by winning this game, made another step in his own maturity, his own claimancy, if that's a word, of this program that he is boss dog on the offensive side, and it showed. 
So credit to him for making the plays, credit to the running backs, credit to the line of scrimmage, credit to the receivers. The blocking they did on the outside, there were a couple of run plays, I swear. If Rufus Harvey was 100 pounds heavier, he might be an NFL-quality lineman. He was sealing edges like a beast at his size. That's the kind of play the dogs were making all even. The effort was there. We may ask in retrospect, where was that effort in the Kentucky game? Where was that effort in the LSU game? That's for postseason consideration. And fortunately, postseason won't come until January. Right now, you say this was what the team can do when it was full strength and not playing their best, but playing a good enough game to beat what was at the time a top 20 team. And now Mississippi State is in the top 25 themselves, which we're moving forward to. First off, I'm a little overdue with this advertisement, so let me get out there from our sponsor, Bet Online. Basketball is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup information, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether it's the NFL, NBA, the NHL, mixed martial arts, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BLEAV, that's all caps, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. And if you're liking what you're hearing, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcast here. All right, I've talked enough about the Egg Bowl. Well, no, I haven't, but it's time to move on. We can enjoy it. Uh, I'll probably have some follow-up columns on it as well in the coming weeks because you can never celebrate winning in the battle for the golden egg enough here in Bulldog country. Oh, by the way, I mentioned the record, 17-15 and 15 since the game moved to campus. Whatever else you want to say about former athletic director Larry Templeton, tip the cap even if you have to do it grudgingly. It was his taking on the responsibility, basically taking the bullet for both schools' administrations and pulling the Golden Egg game out of Jackson after the 1990 season, bringing it back to campus. Since then, Mississippi State has a winning record, and that's the most foremost part of it. But the fact that being able to sell season tickets by tying it to the Golden Egg, being able to use that money to start building facilities, recruiting players, bringing in all sorts of sponsorships and advertisements, other things. That's why Mississippi State has a modern athletic department. Sure, the SEC TV money, which also began in the early 90s, was a huge help. But without the Egg Bowl being on campus, neither State nor Ole Miss are what they are today in all sports. So that's how much this game matters to the past, to the present, and yes, the future of football in the state of Mississippi. Also, let me throw this in parenthetically, while we have a good snicker, it's what's happening across the state line down in our uh, Kindred Kyle College in Alabama. Uh, I do want to point out that whatever else we can say about athletic director John Cohen's two football hires, they have a 3-2 and two record in the Egg Bowl. Okay, I just threw that out there to uh, you know, get under a few skins, and you know who you are, but it's all in good fun at this point. All right, let's move on. Uh, bowl game. No, no, first, let's move on today. Uh, latest news as of Thursday. 
I don't follow players a whole lot on social media. I leave that up mostly to our teammates here at GB247. Uh, frankly, I find it a little creepy to follow players, and uh, also it can get a little confusing because there's so much spur-of-the-moment talk, it would just wear you down what some of these guys are saying. But there is some news there occasionally, and State has had some really good news the last couple of days. Nate Watson, again, leading tackler along with Jet Johnson in this Egg Bowl win, is coming back, going to use his extra year. Bigger news, Jaden Cromedy has announced he is coming back for another season at Mississippi State. And that is huge news because, as I've said, ever since he returned, you cannot tell me that had Jaden Cromedy not been on the roster, or been on the roster, let me get that verb tense right, yes, had he been on the roster for the LSU and Kentucky games, State wins at least one, possibly both of those games, and our bowl status is way better than it is right now. But that is what it is. He's healthy, and he's going to come back for another year instead of testing the pro waters as of now. Stay tuned on this because, again, they have until January to make decisions on that score. But you like the news. Also, uh, Nate Pickering, uh, other defensive lineman, has said he'll be returning. So most of the band is going to be back together in that regard. Of course, you lose Randy Charlton. You lose Tyrus Wheat. Uh, probably lose Jet Johnson and some other guys who've been around a while, but you just feel good. Oh, yes, and Emmanuel Forbes. By the way, that's the one big downer of this past week. The fact that Emmanuel Forbes is not on the Thorpe Trophy Award list boggles the mind. When I heard he was not one of the three finalists, I looked at who did. Okay, very good players. No slur on them. But the guy who owns the career, and I mean career FBS record for pick sixes with six in his just three seasons, a national record for career, and he's not on it, who leads the nation this year in pick sixes. By the way, he has more pick sixes by himself, not just than any other SEC defense. He has more pick sixes than 120 college defenses out there at the FBS level. Six other teams had three. Only three other teams had as many as four. That's how dominating Emmanuel Forbes was, not to mention all his other interceptions over this career, and he's not making the Thorpe Trophy finalist list. Somebody is getting robbed out there. Of course, that's what Emmanuel Forbes has been doing for his three seasons. He's been robbing offenses. Well, now he got robbed himself. And goodness, you hate to see that because, well, he'll just have to settle for being named first team All-ACC, a guy who barely made the second team in preseason voting and didn't even make any of the awards list back in July that was put on it in midseason for the Thorpe. <sighs> Can you tell I'm a little riled up about that subject? Well, you should be too. But he'll get his reward. And we strongly suspect that he has played his last game on Scott Field. He'll be turning pro after this season. But, hey, maybe um, Nate and Jaden and uh, all those guys get together and say, hey, come on, Junior, come on back. Let's keep the band together for one more year with Coach Arnett and make this thing happen against an eight-game home schedule this year. We get Alabama, LSU, and Ole Miss on our field. We've got a winnable schedule. Just come on back and give it another great year. The pro money will always be there. Let's play. Hey, we can dream, can't we?
Also, offensive lineman Cameron Jones has announced he's coming back. Uh, from what we understand, Nick Jones may be out for the bowl game with his injury. Another Egg Bowl note there, Albert Reese. He didn't have the impact this whole season we hoped he would at offensive line, but he stepped in in the Egg Bowl and played like he'd been there all season long. So you feel better about some of your losses on the offensive line. All right, bowl games. It's Thursday night while we record this. Uh, All the bowls will be assigned starting at 11 o'clock on Sunday when the final college football playoff rankings come out. Obviously, the top four will be slotted into the Peach and Fiesta Bowls this year. No matter what happens this weekend, Georgia should be in the playoff, even if they should somehow lose to LSU, which, by the way, we want to happen for reasons I'll get to in a moment. And you feel like certainly Michigan will be in there regardless. TCU, great chance. Uh, Maybe Ohio State can slip ahead of Southern Cal, depending on that game. The final four will be set by 11 in the morning. Then comes all the bowl assignments after the Citrus Bowl picks. If LSU is able to upset Georgia, now the LSU team I saw lose Texas A&M when I was screaming about it. Uh, Kathy and the dogs were wondering, why are you so upset about the game you're not even involved with? Well, this is why. Because... Earlier in the day when South Carolina knocked off Clemson, I turned to Kathy and said, well, there goes the Citrus Bowl. Uh, It's going to be LSU now. However, if LSU is able to beat Georgia, I think they jump back up in the New Year's Six system and the Citrus Bowl is open again. Then it comes down to eight-win Mississippi State, eight-win South Carolina, and eight-win Ole Miss will have to just take a step back by head-to-head result there no matter what happens. Although the Citrus Bowl is a selection bowl, They get to pick the best available SEC team in their eyes. Who will they play? It was supposed to be a Big Ten team, but that's where the mess-up comes for other Bulls. Apparently, and here's where we get to Mississippi State's more direct situation. Say Georgia does win, as most expect them to do. Then I suspect Mississippi State will be in either the Tampa ReliaQuest, for now evermore to be called Tampa Bowl, because I don't even know what ReliaQuest is, or the Gator Bowl. Mississippi State, the third choice would be Nashville that comes down to it, but I do not expect it to come down to that far. I think State will get one of these two Florida Bowls. How will it be determined? This is a little tricky because while State and South Carolina both have identical records, they both are 4-4 four and four SEC, and they both finished third in their respective dis- divisions. The resume, South Carolina is number 19 in this week's college football playoff rankings. They went from unranked to 19th, Mississippi State went from unranked to 24th. It's not a huge difference, but it is enough to put the decision ahead for South Carolina. Plus, they had two wins against top 10 teams in their last two weeks of the season. So, South Carolina is perceived, and I do repeat, perceived to have the edge. Again, the Citrus has their selection, and who knows, they might even take a 8-win South Carolina over a 9-win LSU. That really could happen. I don't expect it to, but it could. Now, more realistically, what's going to happen is if the Rose Bowl decides to take Penn State, assuming, of course, that all goes as planned in the Big Ten championship game instead of a repeat trip by Ohio State, and the Rose Bowl is different. I could easily see Ohio State saying, yeah, we'll go back because it's the freaking Rose Bowl. It's not just any other bowl. But maybe after going last year, not selling all their tickets, they decide, no, we will prefer to go somewhere else just for the change of pace and get busy on the preseason. And so then Penn State would end up in 
Pasadena for the Rose Bowl. Ohio State then would go to the Citrus Bowl. And bluntly, do you want any part of Ohio State at this point? So then you would say Mississippi State and South Carolina are competing for Tampa. If that happens, what the Tampa Bowl loses its Big Ten tie. It can pick from the Atlantic Coast Conference or they can take Notre Dame. Everybody wants Notre Dame in their bowl. Everybody wants to play Notre Dame in a bowl game. If Mississippi State gets the chance to play Notre Dame in either Tampa or Jacksonville, that is a guaranteed season ticket seller. What are the advantages to either? Let's say the opponent is equal. The Gator Bowl is on December 30th. That's a Friday and going into the New Year's weekend and a little bit more convenient trip, though about an hour and a half closer. Tampa is on January 2nd, and it's a, all intents and purposes, a New Year's Day game. Yes, on the 2nd, but it's also the first day of a new work week still at the end of the weekend or the first of the weekend. Either is good. It just depends on what your work schedule is or isn't in the holiday period there. Mississippi State will take a Florida Bowl either way. I, the state gets to submit its preferences, one, two, three, and it's going to be, in my mind, Tampa, Jacksonville, and Nashville, but the order will be skewed by the chance, do we have a shot at playing Notre Dame? South Carolina will do the same. If South Carolina believes that Notre Dame will go to the Gator Bowl, they too will ask for the Gator Bowl first, as would Mississippi State. But you don't know that. You don't you don't know where the Irish are going to be assigned. So you're kind of playing a guessing game at this point in when you submit your bids. Also, those pool of six bowls, everything after the citrus, get to make their own one, two, three selections and ask the SEC office, this is who we want. Now, as you, as you well know out there, or you should know, when schools and bowls submit their selections, if it happens, any of them match you know, say Mississippi State says we want Tampa first, and Tampa says we want Mississippi State first, it's done. There's no more debating about that. SEC just punches the ticket and you go. But more often than not, State will say we want this one. The Bowl will say we want this one. Um, South Carolina, same thing. Ole Miss, same thing. So then it comes down to the SEC mixing and matching. Since there's no head-to-head result between the two teams, it comes down to what do they think TV wants? What will sell best? What will do the best for the SEC? That's where you get into the kind of the convoluted situation. And that's part of the fun of trying to figure. And I use fun kind of in a air quotes at the moment because I'll be spending several hectic hours all Saturday watching the results. Uh, some from Humphrey Coliseum where I'll be watching Chris Jan's team try to remain undefeated and following other games that evening and just guessing and using every campus contact I have to get a clue on what bowl story should I write before the announcements come out on Sunday afternoon. But I would say right now, pull for LSU to beat Georgia, even as unlikely as it is, and let everybody move up a slot there because then for sure you've got four teams in the New Year's Six system. Orlando becomes open. Uh, Not that I love the idea of going to Mickey World, but uh, hey, the payoff is great. And yes, payout matters. I know everybody assumes all the money goes to the SEC office. It doesn't. You get expenses. The larger the payout, the more the expenses, the more Mississippi State can treat boosters, friends, advertisers, politicians, all sorts of folk. It matters. 
And then, of course, there's the glamour of playing in the big bowl that State has never been to, the one that's just a rung below. The, it's the best bowl behind the New Year's Six slash playoff system, one we've never been to, though we have been to that stadium uh, 31 years ago, but we have been to that stadium. Tampa, Mississippi State was there in 2018, and the less said about that game, the better, other than catch the dead gum ball, Stephen Guidry. Uh, anyway. But my main thing right now, and I know we're dragging long tonight, I want a game State can win. I think this team needs, I think this program deserves to finish the season with nine victories. You want the best possible matchup in that regard. Do I want to play Notre Dame? Absolutely. I'll buy that T-shirt for sure. But larger picture, I want the Bulldogs to play a game they want to win and will win. To get that ninth victory, get some real momentum going into the spring training, a better feeling about everything. Now, as this goes on, keep in mind, too, that all sorts of predictions, I'm really kind of moot at this point because we don't know who will play in the bowls. It's not just injuries. You have opt-outs as well, and that applies to both teams. So predicting these things is a whole lot tougher than it used to be, almost useless, in fact. But the bottom line is go for the bottom line. Get that game you can win, and if it's a game that you can sell the more tickets to, that's that much better. Because Mississippi State's going to have an eight-game home season ticket next year. That's a big ticket. You need all the goodwill you can get. Winning the battle for the Golden Egg is the biggest piece of goodwill, but winning a bowl game and showing that you're serious about playing and winning a bowl game matters to fans too, especially when you make the investment to go follow your Bulldog team for a 13th game this season, which we will be doing. All right, let's turn real quickly before we run out of time to basketball. As I mentioned, Chris Jan's team off to an undefeated start. One of, I think, it, I know going into the game last week, they were one of 20 teams that were undefeated. I think a couple have dropped off now, so State's in that rarefied air uh, playing Valley State. They certainly should would take care of that one at 1 o'clock this Saturday afternoon. Then they have a rather lengthy break before they go to Minnesota on the 11th. And I want to put in a plug for December 14th in Jackson. Mississippi State playing Jackson State in the big circus tent there down by the Pearl River. Make your plans, if you can, to be there as well and support Jan's team. They're not very good shooting, as Chris Jans will say. We struggle to put the ball in the hole. And they have some other offensive flaws as well, but they play hard, they play really good defense, and they play together, and they play a lot of people. This is a really entertaining team to watch, especially if you like defense. But you can see that the way they play, the way Christian's team work at it and go at it, you think, if this guy starts plugging in some real offensive talent, Bulldog basketball is going to be going places. And that's a quick look at them. Of course, Sam Purcell's team is playing Sunday afternoon in Humphrey Collin as well. Then it's time for final exams for Bulldogs and Lady Bulldogs. And, of course, uh, we've got recruiting coming up. December signing is December 21st. So there's that building up. Monday is when I believe the NCAA transfer portal officially comes open. You'll start seeing announcements all over the country about transfers. I expect some Bulldogs also because they're looking at who Mississippi State expects to sign. They look at their own playing time, and that's just the nature of the beast right now. So much going on, but so much fun to talk about it, especially because the golden egg sits on the Mississippi State campus tonight. 
all is well with our world. And I hope all is well here in your own world in December as we head into holiday season. And the holidays are always sweeter when Mississippi State is coming off a Thanksgiving victory in the battle for the Golden Egg. That's our one-man doghouse tonight. We hope to have Mario back with us next week when we can talk about bowl season, talk about uh, his own experiences preparing for postseason games, have an update on anything that's happening in the transfer portal on Bulldogs who are or are not coming back for another year, who may be looking at the NFL, looking at other schools. We'll certainly be keeping track of uh, coaching because Zach Arnett's going to be a man in demand once again and Mississippi State, you know, we've been asking fans, Charlie Winfield and the Bulldog Initiative certainly need all the coin they can get, but some money's got to come from somewhere to try to keep this coaching staff together because they've shown what they can do here as the program gradually develops into year three. We're looking forward to trying to get a one-on-one with Mike Leach. It may be difficult now because he's going to be a very busy man for coming days, but certainly we want to give you all that we can to talk about this team that finally has its turnaround. We've seen the transition here in 2022, and now we have an idea of where this thing is headed in the future. As the air raid adds a run element, as the defense comes to full fruition, as even the special teams get it together this season. It was a fun regular season, frustrating in quite a few areas, but fulfilling in so many others, and the best is yet to come. And that can apply, too, for Hiss here on the Doghouse, sponsored by Bet Online, where the game starts. I'm your host, David Murray. If you like what you're hearing, give us a rating on Apple Podcast. If you don't like what you're hearing, give us a rating anyway, just for the rowdy fun of it. It uh, confuses those people at Apple, for sure. <laughs> That's our show. We're good to talk to you again, and we'll be speaking next week. From the Doghouse, here on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.